The Bloomberg Sustainable Business Summit returns to London on April 25th for a solution-driven look at the sustainable business and finance landscape, looking at the latest trends in ESG regulations, supply chain innovation and transition finance. Speakers include leaders from CDP, Emirates Environment Group, TNFD, Ctrace, COA and more. Summit advisors include City and Schneider Electric. Visit BloombergLive.com slash SBS 2024 to learn more. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily Chang, and you're listening to Bloomberg Studio 1.0. This episode hit especially close to home for me because, as many of you know, I've been very focused on covering Silicon Valley's diversity issues and even spent two years researching and writing a book about it. And because, while the Me Too movement has rocked the worlds of entertainment, media, and politics, it actually got a head start in the tech industry. In early 2017, a young engineer named Susan Fowler published a scathing memo about sexual harassment at Uber that kicked off a deluge of reports about powerful men behaving badly across Silicon Valley. The revelations lit a fire in the hearts of women in tech who had had enough. In 2018, a group of female venture capitalists banded together to found All Race with the goal to change the face of those investing in tech startups and the people who build them. It's the industry that is changing the world faster than any other, yet it is also one most dominated by men. Joining me on this edition of Bloomberg Studio 1.0, Aileen Lee, founder of Cowboy Ventures, Kirsten Green, founding partner of Forerunner Ventures, and Maha Ibrahim, general partner at Canaan Partners, all founders of All Race. In April of 2018, you all were on the cover of Forbes magazine. This is space normally reserved for men, normally reserved for male billionaires, and this is the first time, as I understand it, that a group of women was on the cover. When you saw this, how did it make you feel? We were all in awe. It was the culmination of months and months of work, and frankly, at this point, decades of in the background conversations and wondering whether or not our industry was finally going to be as diverse as we all wanted it to be. So I'd say that the first reaction that we all felt was just this level of awe, that it was finally coming to the forefront. Now, Aileen, well said. it was about a year before that you wrote an email mm -hmm. to 20-some female VCs, and you had had enough. What was the spark that lit the fire that got yeah. you to do that? We've all been in this industry for a pretty decent amount of time. When you enter venture capital and you enter tech, after being fortunate to go to good high schools and selective colleges, there's as many women as there are men in your undergraduate class or something like that, and then you wind up in tech and you look around the table and there's really no women, there's no people of color. It's this bizarre other universe. I had been thinking about it like, you know, there, I, I know enough of these women. We're friends with each other. We all, behind closed doors or over cocktails or after board meetings, compare notes about these kinds of issues. And there's enough of us now, and we all feel the same way. Um, and we're starting to collaborate with each other more that we should get together. So I kind of wrote this draft, and I kind of kept it in my my drafts folder for a couple weeks or maybe a couple months because I was like, oh, but what if everyone's like, no, I don't want to do it. And like, I don't know. One day I just decided to hit send. You get this email. What do you think? I think it was the right time with the right message. 
and it felt like here's an opportunity to do something productive, right? I mean, I think, you know, I think everybody had a combination of outrage over what was happening, feeling exhausted of being frustrated with the situation, and the original impetus was like, let's do something productive with it. So I think one thing people forget is you're all competitors, That's too. Right. Like, you compete for deals. Why collaborate with the competition? So that's wow. what makes All Race so special, right? <laughs> and by the way, the coopetition that you're referring to is nothing new in the venture industry. Our male colleagues have been doing it for as that's long right. as I've been yeah. in venture, it's, right? Yes, we have, we're competitive, but we also have to be collaborative. I mean, that's something about the industry. It's like very seldom do you see a company that goes from their first round of funding to their exit opportunity with one firm there, if not never. So how did you decide to make All Race a thing? There's a careers program, there's female founder office hours, you now have a conference. This was not something that happened overnight. We all knew each other fairly well, right? It's not like we were coming together and... Well, nice to meet you. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that's what made it so special. It was so authentic, it was so natural, and we all had just this this call to action by virtue of what had been happening in our industry over the 2017 period, that it was just a point in time thing that when Aileen pressed send, there was no saying no. Do you know of any, you know, woman who has gotten an opportunity, woman who's been hired, company that's gotten funding because All Raise exists? Many, yes. but also we get regular emails from women who have been doing office hours, women who have never raised money before, or maybe from outside the tech ecosystem, and they're either not in the Bay Area, they didn't go to Stanford or Harvard, they didn't know anyone growing up in tech, and they feel like an outsider, and they say, I feel for the first time like people have, are actually looking out for me. Literally, we've gotten emails from women who say, like, this has changed my life. I feel like I can do this now. That said, there's activism, there's conversation, there's organizations like All Raise. But when you look at the numbers, 30 new women partners were added uh, since March 2018, but still only 10% of VCs in the United States are women. 73% of firms still don't have a female partner. I know. Is that progress? It's opportunity. Yeah. That's what we're doing. That's what we're working towards. It's been one year that we've actually mobilized forces against that. And I think, you know, 30 new, 30 new female partners that have a community behind them to help them be even better and more successful in their new roles. So in our industry, things move slowly. My firm is, and you know this because you've interviewed all of us, um, we're, we're a case study in what having female investors can mean for the number of females that actually receive capital. Right, so Canaan Partners has three We have female three partners. GPs. And we you've been have, there for years. I've been there for 19 years. We have 40% of our investment professionals are female. Forerunner is actually larger <laughs> than, than that percentage. And I would make a bet that my firm and Forerunners and Cowboys probably has a higher percentage of females being invested in than anybody in the industry because we have females at the investing table. So what I would wait to see is how that number changes over the next five to 10 years, unfortunately, not over the next one to two. There are those who think that All Raise isn't necessarily going to be as successful as you think. Um, Frida Kapoor Klein, another investor, is skeptical of the work that you're doing, saying, and I quote, it will predictably fail. Adding a single white woman partner is not going to change the VC firm. She is absolutely right. That is why All Race exists. We are a coalition of women who are supporting women. 
it is incredibly important that we have not one woman at the investing table, but two, three, four, and that not only they are in the door, but they stay in the door and they stay successful. And it's also fair, I think, to be skeptical because there are examples of firms that are yes. either marketing that they have women um, and or hiring investment professionals and not supporting them or saying, I hired a woman, like Check box, the box checked, done, high five, let's go do what we were doing before. And that's not good and it doesn't work. Um, and we're on to that. Now, you all hear a lot of things and a lot of things that happen behind the scenes. Do you think that bad behavior has been rooted out in Silicon Valley or is it still happening? I mean, bad behavior happens like in life. It's like people, yeah. you know, there's good people, there's better people over there. So, I mean, I think it's not, I don't know that it's ever going to get rooted out in all kinds of places, but I think that there is a light that has been shown on it and there's a conversation that's acceptable to have about it and there's questions that are fair to ask or even expected to ask. I get asked a lot, can these guys have a second act? We hear, you know, some of these, they're writing books. They're raising money. They're the CEO of a startup. Is that okay? Is there room for redemption? I mean, I think we have to stay hopeful that people can change and that people can evolve. So you that's know? a yes. Mm -hmm. I, want the, I want people to be the best versions of themselves. And just because they found themselves in a time in their life where they haven't lived up to that, I hope that doesn't mean that they have to walk around for the rest of their lives like not being the best version of themselves. I'm really focused on giving people first chances. I think there's a, lot a of, there's a lot of people who have not been given first chances and that's what we're trying to work on. Yep. You're listening to my conversation with Aileen Lee, Kirsten Green, and Maha Ibrahim, all founders of Allray's. Coming up, what it's like to be the only woman at the VC table and the not-so-legal activities of some of Silicon Valley's male VCs. I'm Emily Chang. This is Bloomberg Studio 1.0. Let's talk about how you all got your first chance. So Aileen, I want to start with you. I am a first-generation daughter of uh, immigrants from who are both from China. I was fortunate that our my grandparents and my parents sacrificed a lot and emphasized education for my sister and myself, and so we both got into selective colleges. I eventually wound up, I did banking and, did, and worked at Gap, so I also am a person that, like, Kleiner Perkins took a chance on me. Like, they had hired all men in the past, and generally people who went to Stanford, and generally people who were working in tech, and I was working at Gap. And then I just loved my job ever since. Now, you joined Kleiner Perkins as an mm -hmm. associate partner. Uh -huh. You worked really closely with John Doerr. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's interesting because Kleiner is one of the most sort of storied venture capital firms, but was also sued mm -hmm. for gender discrimination by Ellen Powell. What was your experience at Kleiner like? Growing up in tech and in venture capital when you are the only woman around the table almost all the time is not easy. And you see and experience a lot of things that by legal definitions are not legal. And people choose to handle it in different ways. Ellen lost her case mm -hmm. in court, but do you think she should have won? I was surprised on one of them that she did not win. That's all I'll say. What made you decide to leave Kleiner? Because I know, I mean, you suggested investing in Uber and they weren't interested at the time. Mm -hmm. Like there were moments where you mm -hmm. had ideas yeah. and they didn't listen. Some good friends of ours, my husband and mine, are entrepreneurs. And so they're always thinking about startups. And we were having dinner, and they knew my firm really well, and they knew me really well. And they said, when are you going to leave to start your own firm? And it had not crossed my mind that I could do that. And it hadn't even crossed my mind that like, people would think that 
they would still be my friends if I left Kleiner Perkins. Wow. Um, wow. And, um, wow. Good thing I, you debunked that. I, wow. re like, I realized that I was probably, like, I had gotten a little too attached to it. Um, and I had been there for 12 years. And, um, and then this whole new seed ecosystem was developing, which is more collaborative. It's a different pace and velocity of investing. Um, and that also I would have a chance to actually really find my conviction and my gut because when you're at when you're at a big firm even though if, if you're a senior partner you do you ha there are a lot of big egos in the room generally at all venture firms and you're kind of gaming the system when you bring companies forward based on how you think they're going to be received so it felt like going back to the basics kind of really small low overhead just working with found like meeting with companies working with founders and not having a lot of infrastructure was what I wanted to do next. So you left, you started your own mm -hmm. seed fund. Yep. And that was a big deal when you did that. I guess at the time I didn't realize it was. Well, we actually, oh, we, we had a lot of conversations about starting our around firms. that time. So this is then. a perfect segue. It, yeah. yeah. Because you, Kirsten, you came from outside the Silicon Valley. Right. Beltway. I mean, when I got an email from Aileen Lee <laughs> saying, hey, I hear your name, you're doing this and that, like we should get together, it was like, I got a, you know, an email from a celebrity. I was so excited. <laughs> it was an early like, validation to me about how important it was to have community in this business. You started out as an analyst. Yep. You were going to malls, trying to figure out foot traffic and what was happening in e-commerce. I was drawn to investing because I was interested in learning and I was comfortable with math and analytics. And so that seemed like a good combination. Finding unique investment ideas that other people weren't onto already was sort of what like really hooked me in the business. And, and ironically, one of the companies you both invested in was Dollar Shave Club, which yep. is a razor company yep. which sold for a billion dollars. Yes. High five. High five. That's right. <laughs> now, Maha, you are unique in that You've had check writing privileges at Canaan from day one. Yes. Is that correct? That is correct. So you came in and you didn't face a lot of these things, at least in your own firm. I didn't. And I didn't know at the time mm -hmm. or for years that it was unusual. Um, I had always been through high school, through college, through my PhD program, through working at a telecommunications startup, always been in the minority. So it wasn't anything that I thought was strange going into a venture firm and being the only female, right? I was at a thousand person startup with four female VPs of which I was one. That was just what I knew. I was acclimatized to it. You've always looked at consumer and enterprise. That's correct. Tech so companies. So I started my career and probably for the first eight or nine years only invested in infrastructure and data center and storage type deals. It wasn't until about 10 years ago that I did my first consumer investment and that was not planned, right? It was a company that ended up being a consumer company over time. So I'd say I kind of waded into it inorganically. You're all sort of unicorns in venture capital because of what you have accomplished, and Aileen actually coined that term. So I want to take a moment to recognize that, because that term came from you. The analysis that underpinned it, I'm equally if not more proud of, because our industry historically has been very, like even though we manage so much money and, and 
create so much economic opportunity, there's been so little data and so little analysis historically of private companies mm -hmm. that I was really interested in trying to do a truly accurate quantitative analysis of what these companies have in common and the trends. And, and some of the trends I thought were really hopefully helpful for the entrepreneurial ecosystem. This is my conversation with All Race founders Aileen Lee, Kirsten Green, and Maha Ibrahim. Up next, how tariffs and tech volatility are impacting VC strategy and the double standards for women in business. Is Sheryl Sandberg treated differently by the media than someone like, say, Elon Musk? I'm Emily Chang. This is Bloomberg Studio 1.0. Stay with us. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Hundreds of billions of dollars have been wiped off the market caps of big tech companies in the last several months. And there's fear about a broader economic downturn and whether that will impact tech. Is that impacting your strategies? It absolutely will. So there are positives and negatives to what's been happening. One, on the negative side, the, the tariffs that our government has put in place are in the long term and maybe this is my economist background speaking a little bit more, they are ruinous for our economy. They are ruinous for the global economy. And even when I look at our micro little world in Silicon Valley, when we think about prices going up both for direct goods and the supplied goods, the, the components effectively, it is just, they are, these are unnecessary price changes that the only beneficiary of that is frankly nobody that needs to have that money. I do believe that the tariffs that have been put in place are anti-capitalism and will in the long term n negatively affect GDP around the world. I wonder if some of these companies have also shot themselves in the foot. I mean, if you look at a company like Facebook, is the damage self-inflicted? I think the... Um, Consumer response or sentiment around Facebook, I guess one opportunity is it creates, it creates windows for new startups. Because, you know, if there's a startup that's going to promise certain things around privacy or um, your data, and 
you can share. And, and I think we've learned a lot about social um, media in the past five or ten years that, you know, th this is part of the cycle of creation and destruction or evolution in technology is that you learn from the predecessors and then people come up with new products. Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg have been scrutinized for their leadership. Where do you think they went wrong? I mean, it's pursuing dollars at any cost at the end of the day, right? They were willing to whether it's them or whether it's people under them, I have no idea, right? I mean, that's, that's for you to pick out as journalists. But I think they were willing to sacrifice uh, a lot of their principles for the almighty dollar and share price. So Sheryl Sandberg specifically has been heavily criticized for, you know, whatever shortcomings she may have had. Do you think that criticism has been fair or do you think that criticism has been disproportionate? I think in many sectors of society, we're de we are witnessing how women are treated and viewed differently in the public media than they are, uh, than men are treated. So you um, think she's getting criticized more because she's a woman? I mean, I think obviously, um, it's not uh, it's not binary, right? Because she is the chief business officer of the company, and there are a lot of business issues that that or business decisions and policy decisions that are on, like that are, fall under her purview. But I think if you look at politics in particular. Right now, when you look at how f females in office are being viewed by the media or by the, by the public versus men, there's clearly a double standard. And I think the same is true in business. Where are the double standards? If Elon Musk can talk to the New York Times right. and cry in or an interview. Or smoke during an interview. <laughs> yep. Can women do that? No. <laughs> no. No. What do you think? Oh, oh I mean, that's why I'm asking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hashtag funding secured. Why not? It's not okay, but I think, like, realistically, we're on a continuum yeah. of kind of integrating women into different roles and different businesses. <laughs> right. And yeah. like, while we're on a path to carving that opportunity out, we have to. We have. We're held to a higher standard. Well, and I wonder if we're doing this to our detriment, society's detriment, the detriment of these companies, like Marissa Meyer, who was so picked apart. Where is she now? There has to be an acknowledgement that we are not all uniform, mm -hmm. right? That one woman does not equal the next, does not equal the uh, totally. next. Totally, right? right? Mm -hmm. We are yeah. all very different. Our investment styles are very different. Our personalities are very different. That doesn't mean that we can't come together and produce something that is excellent yeah. and where we can succeed. Yeah. In fact, that means that we can come together and do great things. And the other thing that I think has changed in the past year that I'm excited about is for, I'm starting to see, I think we're all seeing more men stand up and call these things out, right? I think it's exciting to see more men willing to stand up and say what they think about yep. these issues. I mean, there's talk of Amazon needing <clears throat> regulation. Like, you, are you concerned about regulation for tech? Could that hurt? When I think about it from industry? a business perspective and from a consumer perspective, I don't want to live in a world where there's five choices for, for everything. Mm. Like, it's not enough. It's not going to be as interesting, and I don't think it's ultimately going to be good yeah. for us. And so if you go back to kind of like, why do the regulations exist? Why does the antitrust law exist? I mean, as I understand it, it's to protect the consumer, right? And so I think it's your definition of what's protecting the consumer. It's been about price and access, and so like I think that's where it, it's kind of, we're running into some interference around kind of how those companies if they yeah. interfere with that. But I think maybe that needs to be re-explored about kind of what are the standards that govern the way we think about when a company is too big. Are you at all concerned that because of a macroeconomic slowdown that funding could dry up? I am concerned about that. 
I believe that is why a lot of companies raised the capital that they did in 2018. I think fear, as opposed to greed, was driving a lot of the large capital raises and that people were feeling like this party has to end at some point in time. The problem is, or the, the benefit is, I don't really see the party ending. Yeah. There is still a huge amount of cash in the system yeah. that is looking for returns. They're not getting it on the stock market. They're not getting it in it's a fun emerging flows. markets. Yeah. It's a fun flow. It's a macro fun flows issue. It will go towards high beta, high innovation, high potential return, and that's venture. You're all on a lot of lists these days, like the Midas lists and most powerful women lists and best VCs lists. How do you use that power? That's a great question. It well, is. one thing is we made all race happen. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. we decided yeah. to take some of that notoriety and some of that influence and really direct it to towards goals that we feel like are worthwhile. 2018 was a year where I realized that we collectively have reached OG status in the oh, venture really? industry, which is I'm not quite sure how to feel so about that. Sad. <laughs> it's scary. It's sad. No, it's, let's own it and go on with it. it. Yeah. Right. So to that extent, I am trying to own it. And with that owning or power comes the responsibility, as far as I'm concerned, to make sure that yeah. we are bettering this industry, that we are making sure that we have a class of junior people in this industry that are doing the right things with our founders and our companies, et cetera. There's still so much opportunity regardless of what's happening in the funding environment or the economic environment. And so both, and, and also I, Cowboy Ventures is a startup. Uh, we're very small um, and we're still early, so I feel like we have a lot to prove. And I still have a lot to prove as a venture investor and as a founder of a firm that I hope will last beyond me. Um, and the opportunity that we have, and I think all of us, and the many people who are not sitting here with us right now who are involved with All Raise, that family and that community is gonna grow, I think, much larger in 2019. And it comes from such a good place. I'm sure we'll make mistakes, and we haven't done everything perfectly, but it really comes from a place of, um, of checking any um, kind of personal agenda or self, um, kind of self-help at the door and truly trying to create a better, more inclusive uh, tech environment where pe all kinds of people from different backgrounds feel like they have an opportunity to thrive. And that's super important to all of us. Great. All right. Aileen Lee, Kirsten Green, Maha Ibrahim, thank you so much for thank doing you. this. I'm so glad Thanks we got so to do nice. this. Thank you. Bloomberg Studio 1.0 is produced and edited by Kevin Hines. Our executive producer is Candy Chang. Our managing editor is Danielle Culbertson. I'm Emily Chang, your host and executive producer. And if you're interested in learning more about this topic, check out my book, Brotopia, Breaking Up the Boys Club of Silicon Valley. This is Bloomberg. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. 
From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.